There's a verse in the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 25. The Apostle Paul, uh, writing to husbands, says this, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And when I read that, I realize he died for the church. I have to sacrifice for Dina to show her that divine love to the extent that I humanly can. Um, It's not easy, but with God's help, you can do the same. You can step up and love your wife in ways that will be far greater than you could possibly imagine. I'm John Fuller, along with Dr. Greg Smalley and his wife, Erin Smalley, and uh, they're in charge of our marriage department here at Focus on the Family. And um, we're talking today about ways that you can show love to your spouse. And husbands, we have some specific ideas for you Uh, Greg, I think you've shared before, but how do you apply that verse from Ephesians in your own life? For me, it was really understanding what does sacrifice really mean, because we hear that, and that's so noble. It's so aspiring to go, okay, Christ laid down his life, but what does that mean on a day-to-day basis if I'm not actually going to die for my wife? How might I do this? I believe the sacrifice is all about taking something that you own So it has to be something that you possess and you value it. So it's something I own and value. For example, one time I was cleaning out our storage area, our laundry room, and I just noticed that Aaron had like four or five mops stacked in here. And I thought, why do we need that She likes a clean house. Get over it. Embrace that. I know, but... Do you need four or five mops to accomplish that? Possibly, but what did you decide? Well, I decided to give three of them away and keep several, keep two. (laughs) (laughs) The problem was I had no idea that one of the mops that to me looked the nastiest was actually a very, very expensive mop that Aaron had had like this show or something to where this all these women came over and this was kind of the gift yes, for having all these yes. women come over. And so I gave it away. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. I worked hard for that mop. <laughs> and I, I came yeah. home and I was like, just tell me you didn't get rid of this yeah. one. Oh. Not that one. Yeah. And yeah. he said, I took it to the thrift store. Yeah. And so you were shopping real soon for that. Yeah. Did you find it? No. Oh. Never found it. Yeah. But that is not an example of sacrifice. No. Because no, no, no. I didn't value that thing. Well, even as you're speaking, I'm thinking back to, I think it was the last episode for the podcast where you were talking about settling into the plane and you put your noise-canceling headphones on. For me, that's a time to sacrifice because I have found time and again, if Dean is sitting next to me, I just want to zone out and she wants to talk. So I have to decide, am I going to leave my headphones on or am I going to give her my time and attention? And not like we're going to have some super duper conversation, you know, with 150 other people on the plane. But it's a big deal for me to set that aside. I got to let go and just recognize she's a words person. I need to have this conversation with her. And that is an opportunity. So the point is that I'm taking something that I own and possess and value yeah. my time, resources, all that, and giving it mm-hmm. like you did yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. to Dina. And I will say when Greg sacrifices for me and I see it, oh my word, I am left feeling so loved, so cared for, so valued. Specifically last summer, we traveled to Focus New Zealand and we traveled all over New Zealand and it was a long exhausting trip. It was fun, but it was, it was long and it was, we spoke a lot and I, my suitcase was too heavy to pack my special pillow. We each have one that we travel with. So I left mine home and I will never forget 
the it was in the last week when I had taken yours just to lay on it momentarily, but then you said, you know what, you can you can have it. And I just he remember <laughs> looking at him and thinking, are you serious? This is huge. And I know how important that pillow mm-hmm. is. And he let me have it for the rest of the trip. And that made you feel? Ah, valued, absolutely cherished. And it was a, a, a really a gift. Mm. Well, from headphones to pillows to whatever it is for you guys, think about it and try to apply this verse to your own relationship. Last time we heard from author Fawn Weaver, who has a great book called Happy Wives Club. And what she did was she interviewed married couples around the world to try and learn from their wisdom. And here she is talking with Jim Daly about this couple she met in New Zealand and this pillow thing. In fact, you talk about another story. I think it was uh, Bonnie and Jerry mm-hmm. that you came across. What country were they in, and what was the uh, kind of the aha you had with them? Yeah, they were in Winnipeg, Canada. And, you know, Bonnie and Jerry, it was very interesting looking at their relationship because, one, they're the only ones that I interviewed that did not have children because, again, I was interviewing couples that were married 25 years or more, and they chose from the beginning not to have children. What I loved about their relationship is they, one, they knew who they were, and they wanted to help each other in life from the beginning. So he was a postal worker, didn't enjoy his job. So he really wanted to retire early. She was getting her degree in accounting and wanted to be a CPA. So they began on this journey side by side and said, all right, how do I help you? And how do I help you? And how do I help you? And they were able to both achieve their dreams together by working together. So he made this one joke that at one point when she was doing her, getting her CPA degree, the way that he helped is while she would do things like cooking and things like that, he would read the books to her. And he said it was the most boring thing he had ever done in his life, but he was committed to helping her get her degree. And I tell people this all of the time, when it comes to success, the thing that I learned about from interviewing all these couples is that couples have a built-in advantage when they are on the same team, when they are playing this field together. Hmm. And you, for a single person, you kind of have to figure it out all on your own. You have to figure out who you can trust. But when you are with someone and you already have that worked out, you're able to get twice as much work done. So for all of these couples, interestingly enough, they were all successful, but none of them began their marriage that way. And none of them were given anything. They earned it together. Yeah, that's such a great analogy of being on the field and on the same team on the field. Yeah. That's when sports analogies and that's when sports breaks down, right? When yeah. you're not working together. Yeah. It's true in marriage. Yeah. You had a story from a taxi cab driver in Mauritius. What did he say? Yeah. He said, do not, do not is the secret to a happy marriage. <laughs> what is that? You get what you give. You get what you give. You get what you give. And so if you want love, you give it. If you want respect, you give it. Whatever it is that you truly want is what you give. Let me ask you this when you when you say that. Um, these are universal human truths. Yeah. The irony is they're also rooted in Scripture. We've got to be one. very bold and blunt about that. Yeah. God has designed all this. God has placed us here. We're made in the image of God. And that's where we Christians will make that connection to say that's why these things are true no matter what culture you're in. These are basic human truths because they're rooted 
in God's character, right? Absolutely. We should be the standard bearer for what a happy, loving, respectful marriage looks like. When the world looks at us, they should look at us and say, that's what I want. Right now, the issue that we have is nobody wants what we have. And that's a That should problem. be a signal. That should be a signal, right? And if we can put the same thing that I have had the pleasure of doing with the Happy Wives Club, is putting a positive spotlight on marriage. But keep in mind, this isn't just Christian. This is people all around the world from every background. But really, truly, it is Christian couples that should be the standard bearer for what it's like. Because Christ laid it out for us. Paul laid it out for us. He told us, this is what is going to work. This is how you can be successful in marriage. And boy, I don't know. We just ignore it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. To our peril. To our peril. There is nothing in this book, and I tell people this all the time, there is nothing in this book earth shattering. What is in this book are things that you already know. They are things that you should already be doing, but likely have chosen not to do. And so it's really a reminder by looking at all of these couples around the world and taking this journey with me, it's really a reminder of what makes a marriage great and how to apply those things to Mm. your own. Fawn, you were in the Philippines. Uh, We are talking about the connection with God. You met a couple there that said he's the most important aspect of the marriage relationship. This has been in Gloria. Um, and I think they taught you that you got to put God first. You know, that was a pretty common thing. Now, here's the thing, and we've already said that I was speaking to people of different religions. The thing that was common across the board, and especially with the couples, the majority of them were Christian couples, God being the at the top is what was most important. I think one of the places that we get in a little bit of trouble with marriage that none of these couples were in is that we want to put God first and then we want to decide if the husband or the wife comes second or third (laughs) and we want to kind of go down this line. And that's just not the way that these couples operated. You had God first and then you had husband and wife side by side working together to make life great, to raise their children in the best way they possibly could. So I think that that triangle is what was shown with Mm. every couple. No, that is good. You also met Barb and Doug in Australia. Ah. They they, uh, tipped you off to a good, great marriage uh, idea and principle. What was it? Let me tell you something about Barb, and because it's happened since I left. She was in the beginning stages of ALS when I was there and when I was doing that interview. And since then, she has now been in a wheelchair and you've seen her go down pretty quickly. And I stay up with her and and Doug and her children and friends were all on Facebook. So I've been able to watch this and to watch this man care for her. Mm. It is the most beautiful thing you ever want to see. And so when I look at different couples, what I think about is, man, when I am 70, when I am 80, who do I want to be there by my side, helping me through any challenges I might have through life? And for me, that's hands down Keith. So the way that I handle my marriage now is beginning with the end in mind. Huh. Boy, that's uh, powerful to think of it in that context. Um, We had uh, the interim president focused, Don Hodel. You remember Mm -hmm. John, uh, Don's wife, Barbara, tripped on the staircase tumbled to the bottom, pinched her uh, spinal cord, and she was quadriplegic. And so for the last 
uh, four or five years of Barb's life, Don had to basically do everything for her. And he wrote um, and blogged about caretaking of his wife in that condition. And it moved a lot of us to tears. I mean, that was unconditional love. And to see that kind of caregiving and that ability and willingness to do it in their 70s um, was profound and quite moving. And uh, he lost her. Uh, a while back, and uh, but that to see that kind of love, um, that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, Don's yeah. devotion and his tenderness toward her were so um, uplifting and inspiring. Mm. And that's what you saw and that, are seeing in Doug and, and absolutely. Bob. And the the likelihood is is that they had a great friendship before that period of time. So mm. him taking care of her it is his honor. And friendship is so, it was one of the other, really the other pillars of a great marriage as I traveled is these folks were friends. They laughed together. They played together. They joked together. They did not take themselves that seriously. It was just like, oh my goodness, life is hard enough without making marriage hard. (laughs) But how, in light of that though, uh, Fawn, in light of how hard marriage can be and, and life can be, how do you cultivate those friendship moments? I think one of the things is, is you look at life as being hard and you don't look at your marriage as being hard. You look at the outside world and say, how do we keep them out. One of when my husband calls me, the song that plays on my phone is something by the Dixie Chicks called Easy Silence. And the line in it says, the easy silence that you make for me, keeping the world at bay. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does for me is keep the world at bay. And really I look at marriage and all of these couples look at marriage as their safe zone. Mm-hmm. It's the one place in the world that you actually have control of the environment. Nowhere else can you have that. And so in your home, if you want to create a home of peace, a home of serenity, a home of tranquility, you have the power to do that. Yeah, and that, that is a good word. In fact, you and Keith, you use an acronym, A-E-O-D. Yeah. What is it? Accept each other's differences. Okay, why is that so hard for us to do? You know, I don't know, because and it was a, a friend of mine said when reading this, she said, I love this because when I look at different couples and they argue and one wants one to be like the other and the other, it says, if two people are identical, then one of you is unnecessary. And that's what I look at when I look at these different couples, when you accept each other's differences and don't try to change the other person or cause them to respond to you the way that you would respond to you. You're accepting the fact that the two of you are different by design. And that is okay. And really, are you so great that you want everyone to be like you, that you want your spouse (laughs) to be just like you? Are you that awesome? And, you know, maybe it's just me. I don't think I'm that awesome that I want my husband to be made in my image. Oh, that's good. That's a challenge right there. I love Fawn's stories about those couples working together to build a stronger marriage. And if you'd like to know more of those stories, get a copy of her book, Happy Wives Club. We've got it on the website, and we'll link over to it in the show notes. Now, Fawn mentioned the importance of accepting your spouse's differences. And let's go ahead and hear Ted Cunningham address that. Uh, Some fun ideas for how you can accept your spouse's differences. I just started studying comedy about the last year and a half. And comedy is very simple. It's premise, punchline, premise, punchline, premise, punchline. My favorite thing is the callback. The callback is where you bring a punchline from earlier in the set and you bring it off of a different premise 10, 15, 20 minutes later. 
And, and I, as I studied that, I go, why, why don't we do that as couples? Why don't we turn every conflict, like a parking lot situation, into a callback? And have fun with it instead of always being irritated with each other. Instead of always choose to have fun. Because enjoying life and marriage is about having fun. It's about choosing to have fun. It flows from the same place, your character, that commitment flows from. So here's how I do it now. Now, some of you are going to find this early in marriage or in your dating right now. My wife would ask me questions when we were first married thinking I had the answers to everything she asked me. And I'd be like, why do you think I know that? We'd drive through a construction zone, and she'd be like, hey, babe, yeah, what are they doing right here? <laughs> I, I, uh, let's see, I, I wasn't involved in any of the meetings on this project. I have absolutely no idea what's going on here. And I used to drive down the road going, why, why does she think I know these? And she, you know why? She's wanting to connect with me. She's not looking for information. Guys, we make this mistake a lot. We think when she's asking questions that she needs answers. No, she needs connection. She needs us just to listen and to talk. So watch. Now here's how I've turned that into a callback. When we drive through a construction zone to have fun, she'll say, hey, babe, what are they doing right here? I turn into the construction foreman. I told him, rip it up, boys. We're going 12 lanes, not six. You got to have fun with it. Roll down the window. Talk to the construction workers as you go by like you're the foreman. You don't have to look for greener grass. I want you to think about for just a second the guy who's, who's at home and he turns on an eHarmonyMatch.com or OurTime.com commercial and he sees a couple twirling around on the screen and he thinks to himself, boy, I'd like to have that right now, but I can never have that because we never took a test. We're, we, we, we don't, we'll never have that. And, and I always tell the guys in our church, stop looking for greener grass. Where there's greener grass, there is a septic leak. Stay home and water your own lawn. For a good time, call home. But he sees, you know, if I want to have fun again in life, if I want to enjoy life again, I need to find someone new. No. Here's the bottom line. You will never find compatibility. You'll never discover it. There's not an algorithm in the world that can put you with someone compatible. Compatibility is something you choose. It's something you create. It's a decision that you make. Now, my wife and I, we come from two very different backgrounds. I grew up independent, fundamental, premillennial, King James Version, only Baptist. I have what's known as a guilt-prone nature. She grew up Assembly of God, set free in Jesus, right? So she... I see all signs on the road as laws to be followed. You, you break one, you go to jail, God stops loving you. That's how I view signs. She sees all signs on the road as suggestions for other people. Very different. I grew up in a home that taught savings was money you put away for a rainy day. She grew up seeing savings as the difference between the actual price and the sale price. She has two love languages. If you know what a love language is, it's the way we give and receive love. Her, she has two love languages, acts of service and quality time, which means I serve her for long periods of time. That's how I show Amy Cunningham love. We make the choice to enjoy life together. We're watching movies. We love watching movies. For Amy, watching a movie means surfing Pinterest and reading a magazine, which puts all of the burden of watching the movie on me. Something will happen, and she'll be like, oh, what just happened? Oh, this wears me out. I have to pause the movie and say, hey, there was an explosion on the space station. A big piece of metal broke off. It hit the space shuttle. Now they're stuck in outer space. She goes, oh, what are they going to do? 
again, this is that question needing information. I'm not an astronaut. I have absolutely no idea. But I bet if we watch the rest of the movie together, we'll know how to fix a space shuttle the next time we need that information. <laughs> Choosing to have fun together. It's another great passage. Genesis 2.24 says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. The first half of that verse is a parenting verse, uh, that you should leave home. You, and you're already starting on that journey, but you should leave home. It's not God's plan for your life to be in your parents' basement at 35 with Star Wars bedsheets on your bed. That's not his plan. He wants you to leave and to separate. And it's a good thing. I, I, my kids, 12 and 14, soon to be 13 and 15, I share this verse with them all the time. And you can ask my son at 12, what's your dad's definition of maturity according to Genesis 2.24? And Carson will go, oh, I will not be with mom and dad forever, so plan accordingly. That's right. <laughs> You're eventually going to go. And I tell my kids all the time, we love you. You're a welcomed addition to this home. But I want you to know we got big plans, your mom and I, after you leave. And he'll say, well, what are you going to do? Well, first of all, we're going to Disney World. That's where we're going to kick this whole thing off. But your mom and I, we're preparing you. We want you to leave. And when my daughter was five years old, she was kind of taking over the house. And I sat her down. I said, Corinne May, there's only one queen in this house, and you ain't her. She looked at me with those eyes that said, we'll see. <laughs> Big talker. The next day, she tells my wife, there's room enough in this house for two queens. And I said, Corinne May Cunningham, one day I'm going to stand at the back of a church with you, looking down the aisle at some pervert. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that to my daughter. I would never say that to my daughter. I didn't want that going deep into her heart. I said, I'm going to stand at the back of a church with you. I'm not walking you down the aisle until I know he loves you as much as me. Because here's the thing. You are not my queen, but you're my princess. And one day, I'm going I'm to walk you down the aisle to give you a way to become another man's queen. I said, and that's Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother's united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. The bond, according to that passage, the bond between a husband and a wife is to be stronger than the bond between a parent and a child. And I said, Corinne, I want to show you to the best of my ability every day how a queen should be treated. That's my goal. So you know what to look for. Because I love it when a mom comes up to me at a wedding and says, I don't feel like I'm losing a son today. I feel like I'm gaining a daughter. I say the same thing every time. Nope, you're losing a son. And it's time for you to back away so these two can become one. Because we're watching Genesis 2.24 take place. A husband and wife, two becoming one. Isn't Ted great? Uh, he has such a fun sense of humor, and he delivers such superb biblical truth. And uh, that lighthearted perspective is something that you and your spouse can achieve in your own relationship. You can laugh more in the marriage. Um, one great resource to help you do that is Ted's new book. Uh, it's just out. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's called A Love That Laughs. And 
Uh, Greg, Ted mentioned there how he talks with his daughter about recognizing the important qualities of a godly man. And you've had some conversations about future thinking with um, what turns out to be your son-in-law. Yeah, I, I made Caleb go to a marriage seminar with me that I was teaching <laughs> yeah, no pressure. <laughs> when he was wanting to ask for my blessing. Yeah. You know, some of the things that, that I felt that we need to talk about was one, his relationship with Christ and just to better understand his testimony mm-hmm. and in, in how he lives out his faith. Um, we talked about a lot of things. I wanted to better understand, you know, what was it about my daughter that makes him want to marry her beyond the, Oh, she's so beautiful. Or, you know, we both love the Broncos and just to hear him affirm who she is, her inner beauty, her inner character and what he noticed. uh, I love that. And it gave me confidence that they really know each other Mm -hmm. deeply. You know, Caleb's a rocket scientist. So he works for an aeronautical engineering firm. And so he tried to be all clever and smart. He Googled me, tried to read he up. He did his homework. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I stumped him, though, with this question. I asked him, would you marry you? And just the look on his face was priceless <laughs> as he's <laughs> like, I don't know how to even answer that. Yeah. The point being, my mom used to say to me, don't look for the perfect person to marry. Become the mm. perfect person. In other words, really a great marriage happens when there's two healthy individuals. Yeah. It's pretty tough to make a marriage work if the individuals aren't healthy. And so just to better understand for him, just kind of his own challenges and the things that, that he's going through, how he's grown, what what is he learning, mm-hmm. what is God teaching him, yeah. all that just helped me better understand kind of him as an individual. Oh, that's neat. And we're going to turn now to hear some more from Dave and Ashley Willis. Um, they've written a book called Seven Days to a Stronger Marriage and talked with Jim Daly about some practical ways you can show love to your spouse. And husbands, lean in here and listen because there are some really good ideas here. How does a husband show that um, we cherish our wives. What is, and I don't want to put Dave on the spot. From the many friends that you have, yeah. I mean, from all your research, um, <laughs> right? How does that come across? Give us some tips. Mm-hmm. We just need to be hit between the eyes. Give right. us the four things we can do to say to our wives, "We cherish you." Well, my goodness, there's so many things because I think sometimes we think that's so complicated. But really, I think it's making time. I think time is the currency of relationships. That's something that Dave has coined. He said that many times, and it is. You know, can it's I can we, I interrupt you there? Sure, sure. What you're saying, and I, I, this is important because I can fault pray to this one. Let's spend time together, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I don't organize it, right. and she may be even waiting for me to initiate carving out the time. Right. And if I don't do that, then a week goes by, a month goes by, because we all have busy schedules. And she's going, I thought you were going to spend time with me. Right. So it's important that you go ahead and you you make the date. You know, make set it, it. Go make reservations. Like, do whatever it is where you're like, we're not going to go back on this. Get the babysitter. Make sure that babysitter's in place. I know something really simple beyond a date, and I know we've talked a lot about that, is use your cell phone to your advantage, okay? I know it can be a disadvantage yeah, in marriage with social media. My wife just turned off right there. Yes. She's <laughs> like, no, let me tell you. Let he me tell can't you. use his cell phone any more than he already does. But you can use it to bless your marriage, and this is yeah, how. Not to-dos. I don't think it's yes. to-dos, John. No, no, no. This is just 
to stay connected. I mean, send texts throughout the day. Give your call your spouse throughout the day. I know different jobs, you know, have different kind of requirements that they need and they can't have cell phones, but there's certain times where you can make that call, you can make that text. And I mean, something that I love, Dave and I, we, we had somebody say something to Dave once. They said, gosh, you guys like text each other and call each other a lot in the day. And she's like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> and, and we and, were like, and my thought, well, is it is- weird? If normal is unhappy and divorced, I want to be as weird as I can in my marriage. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. want to stand out and do things that other people aren't doing. And, yeah, we love staying connected through the day. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that way when you get home at the end of the day, and so many guys have this tendency to shut down at the end to process what they've been through. And the, your wife's wanting to connect with you. And she's asking about your day, not to interrogate you, but to connect with you because she wants to and has a right to be connected to every part of your life and your world. And we shut down. And what can help with that is through the day, stay connected. Through the day, tell her what's going on. Through the day, um, let her know that she's on your mind and you can't wait to see her when you get home. Mm. And then it's going to make those conversations at night less pressure where you feel like it's more of just exchanging. Yeah, you're more Exactly. So you're kind of continuing one conversation really throughout the day as opposed to just right in that little bit of time you have at the end of the day. Some really good advice about how we as men can better love our wives and Aaron, uh, let me ask, how much more connected do you feel with Greg when he's texting you during the day like Dave and Ashley recommend? You know, it makes all the difference because when he reaches out to me during the day, just in the middle of the chaos of the day, I get a text from my husband. It tells me that, A, he's thinking about me, that I'm on his mind, and it also tells me how important I am to him. Otherwise, he wouldn't be texting me. Mm -hmm. And specifically, I know for Greg that he gets so um, compartmentalized with what he's doing. So when he gets to work, he's working. And he has has a little two-word sentence taped to his computer screen in his office. I don't know if you've seen it. That says it's text there. Aaron, hmm. and so I smile reminder, when huh? I see that. Cause I'm like, really? <laughs> you have to remind <laughs> well, yourself. Well, we, we do but... as men sometimes get pretty deep into those yes. uh, boxes. But it tells me that he's committed yeah. to remembering. Okay, so let me ask um, for the husband who is saying, "My wife doesn't like texting, or she could care less if I did that." What's a creative way for him to say, "Been thinking of you. Let's carry the conversation on." Well, I would ask her because Erin has talked about that a part of her love language is is just the written word. Yeah. So she loves it when I give her a text. So I, if she didn't like that, I would just say, I, I would love to connect with you during the day when we're apart. Mm-hmm. What would be the best way? Is it posting something on your social media? Is it calling you? Is it FaceTiming yeah. you? Yeah, my dad called my mom every day from work during the lunch yeah. hour. I just it's remember precious. him doing that. And and maybe that's a better way to connect. Yeah. It's, the, the point simply is reach out, make sure that you're engaging in a meaningful way with her. Yeah. I one time saw my little notes yeah. and just grabbed my phone to quickly text her. And I just said, hey, you look beautiful. You know, hey, by the way, I can't wait to hang out tonight. I think we had a date night planned. And so I just was giving her some creative ideas yeah. on past date night, what we could do together. She's my wife. Aspirational. That's that's okay. I'm I'm reading it. Aspirational. Sensitive material if caught in the wrong hands. (laughs) I sent that. I'm I'm telling you, seconds went by, and I get a response, and I look at my phone, and I went, what? Because it was from my boss. Here at Focus (laughs) on the family. I was brand new. 
in my boss text, please tell me you meant this for your wife. What do you say to that? So I just text him back. No, I was just thinking about our meeting later on. (laughs) So a big key is if you are going to send a text to your wife. Keep it appropriate. Make make sure it's to your wife. Yeah, it's good advice. Yes. I think there's wisdom in that. It's how you love well right there. Yeah. Well, um, one of the better ways to connect, the safer ways, is to read a book together. And we do have books that we might recommend, including (laughs) Ted Cunningham's new book, A Love That Laughs, which is full of humor and has some great uh, practical activities you and your spouse can do. Uh, We've got information on that on the website. And if you want to go a little bit deeper and you want to spend time away where you can send suggestive notes back and forth, uh, do one of our marriage getaways. Uh, you can find out about these weekends, which are in Branson, Missouri. It's a beautiful place. Uh, I've been there. It's off the grid almost. I mean, it's just really a, a, a great place to reset, refresh, and let the hurry and worry of the day kind of slip away. Um, 96% of those who attend for these marriage getaways are really happy with them. Uh, Why don't you join the growing uh, number of couples going to Branson for the Focus Marriage Weekend Getaways? Uh, We've got details about that and Pastor Ted Cunningham's book in the show notes. Next week on Loving Well. And so Joseph comes, she comes back and he takes her as his bride. What a beautiful romance story. Mm -hmm. And then to think of, why am I tearing up? He delivered the Messiah. Rhonda Stoppy sharing how one of her favorite couples in the Bible can inspire your marriage. For now, I'm John Fuller, and on behalf of the Smalleys and the entire team at Focus, thanks for listening in to the Loving Well podcast. Mm-hmm.